HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. My name is Sarah Kim, and I'm from Austin, Texas. I'm a Cheeselandian because while life is great, cheese makes it better. Go to Cheeselandia.com to learn more, and if it's for you, sign up. This week on Meet and 3, it's our 100th episode. We're breaking the mold to kick off our mini-series on global trade. Vegetable, fruits, grains, and cooking technique pass from one region to another. And that's interesting that that region transformed that ingredient into their own specialties. There was a time where black pepper was a luxury. And we know that because people were willing to invest huge amounts of money to go to the Spice Islands in order to get uh, pepper. (laughs) You know, stuff we take for granted now. You know, you go into a restaurant and it's free. Tune in to Meet and 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Processing, a show about the intersection of food and grief with your hosts, Mizara Tangora and Bobby Conforto, mom. Oh, Bobby is with us for the intro this week. Hello, Bobby. Hey, sweetie. Bobby, how are you? Do you really want to know? Yes, (laughs) that's why I asked. I I have a duality of feeling really inspired and strong and good. Um, because I've been working so hard and I love to work so much with my clients and people, but I also feel really heartbroken and disturbed and upset and agitated about what's happening in our country right now, because this is, um, the week, my birthday actually, to just add a little bit was January 6th Mm. and it was a very strange day. So, um, did something happen? <laughs> yeah, it was I'm just, just we was so, it was such a high, wonderful day because I spent some time with you and yeah. I loved every second of it outdoors. And then, um, Paul Revere came up our driveway and told <laughs> us that the revolution had started and it was just terribly upsetting. So that's how I am. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agreed. It is a very difficult period in human history. Um, you know, that is undeniable, no matter how you feel, who you are. Um, and I hope that, you know, my only solace is just that we all have a, every single person has a inventory to take about, you know, who we are, what we stand for, where, what we've been doing, what, how we got here, you know, we all, there's, there's room for everyone to take an inventory of that and to make improvements. And I hope that we can do that, you know? Amen. Yeah. Um, I'm tired. <laughs> I'm tired. I know I you've been cooking. For three You've hours. been a cooking maniac. I'm doing um, 
I'm doing a pop-up at Shelsky's. Our good friend, friend of the show, Peter Shelsky, um, was kind enough to host me and some of my cooking comrades in his space. We're doing the Zaza lasagna pop-up week one. So we were up late last night cooking lasagnas. All for right, all those Zazas. Yeah. And a little fun fact, Zaza was my nickname as a baby. Mm-hmm. And it was the right. name of um, your dad and I's hors d'oeuvre company. It was called Zaza Hot Hors d'oeuvres. Yeah. Which is a tongue twister for me. <laughs> Zaza's Hot Hors d'oeuvres. I mean, really, try saying that 10 times fast. But it was your nickname. That is true. So this week we have a show. It's just Bobby and I chit chatting. And we're talking about heartbreak on this week's show and uh, relationship breakups, breakdowns, divorces, endings. And food. I mean, I feel like, you know, we did talk about food in the episode, but we talked, it was a, you know, it was a sprinkling of food talk, <laughs> but it was a good episode. We're I two loved vo- it. We're two foodies that we're talking about relationship loss. That's, that's good right there. You can picture us as two <laughs> foods during right. the inter- during what food the talk. Would you, what food would you be? Ooh, that's a great I think question, we'd be the same Bobby. food. I believe we'd be the same food. I oh, think we'd so- both be lemons. A lemon? Oh, no, I wasn't thinking that. I'm no? thinking of myself as a warm, soft food, like butternut oh. squash soup. Mm. Well, I'm a lemon. <laughs> You're a lemon, and I'm a hunk of feta cheese. Okay. Ooh. Okay? With we glasses. Make salad We're both together. wearing glasses, folks. So <laughs> we picture Bobby. She has short hair, a lemon with short, cute short haircut and glasses, and I am a chunk of imported Greek feta cheese slathered in olive oil and some dried oregano, also worth glasses and and a bun <laughs> on top. Um, well, we hope that you enjoyed the show. It's um, I think that it's very uh, vulnerable and revealing and intimate, and I enjoyed every minute of it. I did too. You're so you're very smart, Bobby. I've learned so much from you in my life, and I continue to learn. More and more from you, along with our listeners each week, because you're just so insightful and uh, it's wonderful. I feel so lucky to get to do Thank you. I remember I don't, I'm not naturally smart. I just learn all this from other people. Well. I have many other people inside of me speaking. Give yourself a little credit. (laughs) You're naturally Mm -hmm. adorable. That I can attest to for 100% sure. Um, Okay. Well, I hope you have a great rest of your day. Fridays have always been a, I don't know. I always think of you on Fridays because we always used to, when I was growing up, I had half days on Fridays in my elementary school and you'd pick me up in your Subaru and we'd go do something fun. And I always think of you on a Friday and now we get to do this together on Friday. So that's pretty cute. All right, guys, hang in there. Um, It is a weird and, and a uh, very difficult time. And like I mentioned on last week's intro, you know, I think uh, because human beings need to adapt to kind of just go on in general, that I think that, uh, you know, there are times, and this is probably a good thing and a bad thing, but like that we don't realize how much this time may be take toll, this time might be taken on us. So if you wake up and you're tired in the morning or you're feeling depressed or grouchy it makes perfect sense this is a very strange thing aside from all the things that are going on in our country in the, the pandemic there the life has really changed for a lot of folks and you know also not changed for a lot of other folks and this is just a very difficult time you know and life in its best most prosperous years can be very difficult so give yourself a break uh have some try to do something nice for yourselves if you can and um be be kind to yourselves and each other 
And we'll join you next week when we'll have a new subject on processing. Okay. Love you guys. Bye. Bye. Sarah. Hi, Bobby. It's just me and Bobby today. Just the two of us gals chatting away. <laughs> Looking All forward right. to it. Uh, yeah, so today it's just Bobby and I. Uh, no guest. And um, we're going to be talking today about a very kind of distinct kind of grief. Um, one that we haven't really talked about so much on the show before, and that's heartbreak. Mm. Right? Ouch. Yes, ouch. Ouch is right. Um, I feel like I'm very familiar with heartbreak. And I'm going to be completely honest, this isn't a joke. I feel like I'm actually maybe more familiar with it than a lot of people in general, alive in the world. (laughs) Um, You know, I'm single, I'm 37, and uh, I've been in a lot of long-term relationships in my life and some short-term relationships, but... Um, I put myself out there as, as dad used to say, and maybe you used to say it too, but I wear my heart on my sleeve. And so I think that's like a, both a gift and a curse, but I've, I've found myself being hurt, uh, unintentionally hurting other people. You know, I've been, uh, I've had my fair share. What about you? Have you had a lot of heartbreaks in your life, mom? Well, I had a divorce. A divorce is a big heartbreak. That's a big I'm breakup. My dad, and that was, and it was a breakup that lasted for at least six years. It was, you know, and I remember it being so painful to that's everybody. The inter- that's the interesting thing. Well, yeah, that's the interesting thing about divorce that I don't, I, you know, I don't understand because I haven't been through a divorce. I uh, also haven't been married. <laughs> um, but that's an, a different kind of. You know, it adds a whole nother level to a heartbreak uh, and a breakup, especially when there's kids and, involved. And we're trying to reach out to all of you listeners, and I'm sure all of you have had different types of heartbreak. But today we're talking about, you know, not the loss through death, but the loss through separation um, or betrayal or disappointment, right? Absolutely. And, yeah. you know, we talked a lot about this in preparation for the show, but... Um, the feeling of uh, grief from a heartbreak and a breakup and a divorce, um, is so, is so powerful and painful and it's very different than, um, grieving a death in many ways because the person is, you know, still alive and still around and it creates this whole other sense of like loss yet you're not able to necessarily memorialize them in the same way there's anger involved not to say that there's never anger involved when there's a death but it is a different kind of pain and it's a complicated pain right it's also a disenfranchised loss we've discussed this term before which means that it's not often socially sanctioned in other words people you know they may say oh i'm so sorry but they're not thinking that weeks and months later you're still feeling it that you know they don't think that way it's not so it's not in a way supported by society that's a very good point. And, um, you know, I also think much like the grief that you experience after a death, it doesn't necessarily have to do with, um, we can't put a label on what people should feel given how many months or years you've been with this person or known this person. I mean, 
you know, just like when you lose somebody, we can't judge, well, it was a grandma or it was a spouse or it was a niece or nephew. Like, you know, of course, everyone feels the weight of their own loss in a specific way. And it's different for different reasons and different people. Exactly. And the thing that um, always to remember is that there's a lot of factors. This is what you're saying, that a lot of factors influence any type of loss, whether it's through death or separation. And the factors can be your support system, your personality, your history of losses that you've had before, what you learned from your own family about how to deal with loss, um, the ways that you express yourself. Um, you're, are there any other conditions that are wrong? Do you have physical problems or other problems, you know, financial problems or whatever? So there's many, many different factors are um, that affect the way a person grieves. And yeah. It- yeah, absolutely. And like, you know, it's funny because sometimes it's those uh, short relationships or brief kind of like, I don't even, maybe they're not even getting to the point of relationship. But, you know, you can feel it really hard for a long time and it's unusual why. And then, you know, there's part of it is that there's not a lot of anger necessarily. You haven't accumulated enough things that you can feel uh, against the per. You know, if you're in a relationship with somebody for like five years, 20 years, a year, there's all sorts of things. You're like, oh, well, I really didn't like when this person did that or that was kind well, of you've built up a case. toxic to me. You've well, built yeah, up a case against built them. built up a yeah. case, but I mean... A reasonable case. You know, a lot of times that case is like, hey, this person actually wasn't right for me and I can really see it. But like sometimes in these short relationships, it's like even more painful because you have all this like hope and there was no fact to base any of the, you know what I mean? There's like, you live in this imaginary zone. And also I wanted to just say to your point before that um, relationships are like really triggering, you know? And sometimes we can use that trigger in a positive way. You've often said to me that relationship is your last best time best chance, to grow up last best chance to grow up right mm-hmm. and i really love that um but like you know if we don't use it to grow up it can just be plainly triggering and so sometimes i think when we're feeling like the really deep and this is just a theory i'm sure you'd know more about the actual psychology behind this mom but um you know i think when we're feeling like this deep pain from a breakup it's just like a trigger that has is kind of scraping at some other thing from our past, some emotional trigger, because some of the worst breakups I've had have not been with people who I've really wanted to be with. They've been with awful people who I'm happy to get away from. And, uh, but yet I've been in so much pain and then look in hindsight, I'm like, oh, that's because something was really triggered in me because of this. It really didn't have much to do with the person. What I hear you saying, and one of the ways that I describe it, is that we all have a lens of perception. And so when we face a loss, we're facing the loss through the way we view the world, the way we view ourselves, and our lenses are affected by our history. So whatever losses we had in the past, whatever we learned from our families, whatever um, traumas or triggers that we had in our past, it's the way we view our loss. So I think that's part of what I do in a way being a grief therapist, is that so I'm not only helping people understand about loss, but understand how they uniquely face their loss. So I think that's what I hear you saying, right? That it could be a a short relationship or it could be a long one, but depending on the way you view it or a bad one. Or a bad one, which you're like, which you know you're lucky to be getting out of. And you're like, I remember a relationship I got out of maybe like eight years ago and I was so devastated. I was like wrecked. I lost like 20 pounds. I was like so wrecked. And it was really a maybe the worst partner 
I don't even know if I can call it a partner. The worst relationship I had ever been in. And even at the time I knew it, it wasn't like I was like, oh God, how could this be over? Like in my real brain, I was like, I'm so lucky this is over. This is so toxic and bad for me. Um, well, you know what the other things are is that, you know, we're, we're experience a lot of different kinds of losses when a relationship ends. You know, there's a loss of expectations, right? There's a loss of shared dreams that you might have had with the person. There's a loss of commitments that you might have made to each other. Um, there's a loss of, um, you know, who are you now? Maybe your life was shattered. Maybe you had to leave your apartment. In your case, I know you had one situation where you not only had a breakup, but you had to leave where you were living and you had nowhere to live. Oh, my God. That um, was the, it that shatters was your life. <laughs> it shatters your, it shatters your <laughs> life. And it's off, it often is when you have a break of a relationship, a sudden change in your living situation. Even if you're not living with the person, it changes your lifestyle. Because when you're with somebody, it's your, it's your lifestyle. Yeah. So, and, and another thing, and this is something that I think is very significant, is sometimes we mourn the years that we wasted. That you is know, we so feel like, true, Bobby. You know, now, I didn't feel that in my marriage, even though I was married for 24 years. I knew that I had created so many wonderful things, mostly you, and a wonderful business. And I didn't feel, I felt like it's just two people that didn't work out. You know, we did for a while and then we didn't after that. But I could understand how for some people they might mourn lost years that they spent in the relationship. That is such an interesting point. And it's something that I think we can't often point to when we're in that type of heartbreak grief is the mourning for the lost time, you know? And it's also, it's like too much to admit sometimes at the time, right? It's like, I don't know. I guess I'm immediately drawn to equate it to like when you have made up your mind about a sports team you like or a political figure or something. It's hard to retry to be like admit that you were maybe wrong about partner. <laughs> That's you- a little bit significant for the times, <laughs> considering yeah, just that we were right, right you before. Might have been wrong. <laughs> um, but anyway, that goes for both ways. But um, like. I think that a lot of times it's so hard to admit that maybe you wasted quote unquote wasted time. I don't really believe in wasted time necessarily. But I, I don't need, I don't need, you know, but it, that feeling, um, of lost time that like we can double down, right. The same as people do with political figures they like or sports teams or whatever, instead of being able to see what is and be like, Oh, I, I made a mistake here or whatever. I don't even like to say mistake, but I, I, this didn't quite work out the way I took a path that didn't serve me well. Perfectly put that you double down and the doubling down in that way, I think oftentimes, uh, comes back to us as self-flagellation, depression, you know, feelings of mourning, because it's like almost too much to just kind of be like, okay, I picked a path that didn't serve me. Let's go from there. You know what I mean? Because like in that is something that's like, very difficult to face because then you have to be like, well, why did I do that? What right, were you the have to face so many in? things about yourself, right? Do you know what I mean? It's so much unpacking that it's almost just easier to be like, oh, I shouldn't have made him eat spaghetti three times a week. Or what if I had just like cleaned the bathtub better? Or I shouldn't talk about my relationship with my father so much, you know, or whatever it is that you think that you did that like destroyed it as though that can... You know, that's exactly. so rarely well, You know what case. you're bringing up, really, is that, you know, breakups evoke a lot of different feelings, right? Certainly they evoke sorrow, you know, deep sorrow and maybe pity and pining 
and anger and yearning. And it also evokes denial, which is what you were talking about before, certainly a sense of despair, feelings of abandonment, um, feelings of guilt, feelings of blame, lowered self-image, feelings of jealousy, obsessive thinking, and feelings of failure. So there's so many different types of things. You know, when we were thinking about this today, um, this subject, I tried to do a little research, and I realized that it very much fits in with the stages of loss that we've discussed before. Now, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who was a very famous Swiss psychiatrist in the 50s, she was one of the first person to really explore grief. And she's the one that came up with the five stages of grief. And they've been since very disputed because really they had to do with anticipating a loss. What she wrote them about was when somebody was dying and how you would go through stages of denial and bargaining and anger and depression and acceptance. Um, And so it doesn't exactly fit to loss, but when I thought about it, um, how it fits to relationship loss, I thought it was very interesting. So can I share that a little little bit of that with you? Oh, I I wish you would. Go ahead. (laughs) Good. So at first, you know, of course, in the stages of grief, there's denial and shock and disbelief. And I would imagine that that's true because like you're saying, the double downing part of it is a denial that it's really happening. And I imagine for a long time at the end of a relationship, we don't see what's right in front of us. We don't want to see what's right in front of us. It's just too scary to see what's right in front of us. Absolutely. And like I, to my point that I kind of made earlier too, is that the difference in a death and a breakup or breakdown of a relationship and ending of a relationship is that the person is still living amongst us. So there, while denial is definitely a part of the stages of grief and death, in the back of our mind somewhere, we do know that this person is actually gone. You know what I mean? From like their physical body is gone. You know, our relationship with them can continue in different ways. But when you go through a breakup, the person is still living. And so the denial part, I think, is more profound because you can reason with yourself. Well, if I do this, this and this thing. Right. Or like I they're right my- on the next street. If I just pass by, they'll come out and we'll, we'll, it'll be better. Everything's right. going to be like, okay. You know, you take you start Googling, you go on Reddit and you're right. like, right. Oh, relationships that started difficult and ended up, you know, amazing. Or you, you know what I mean? You can like be like right. the denial thing, I think, is more real. Yeah. It's interesting you use the word breakdown because I realize it's a great word for what we're talking about today because it's really a breakdown and then a breakup. Well, you know, the reason I use the word breakdown is that I love Tom Petty, first of all. And secondly, um, I think that sometimes relationships just break down and then they they do end up working out. I don't think like a breakup is always and not only do I not think I know, I think like 50 percent of people or something like that get back together after breaking up. And some of those relationships end up lasting. And sometimes I actually think that the breakdown and parting in a relationship can actually really strengthen a bond. And of course. I know so many people who, I feel like everyone who I know who has a good relationship, a strong, healthy relationship has gone through a breakdown in the relationship. Because now you're talking about breaking open. <laughs> so with the breakdown, there's yes. a, a breaking open and we it's know a, about that. It's a possibility. What a deep experience. Yes, the the benefits of breaking open are huge, whether you end up back together or not. We can get back to that later, because I'm interested to hear about how you're relating to stages of grief. But um, I really actually believe that every, I, I don't know if I should generalize it like this, but I, I do believe in the power of breaking apart to come back together. I think it, mm-hmm. it happens mm-hmm. often. 
and yes, it can be really powerful. So interestingly, I was thinking about the the Nile shock disbelief and that stage of grief that goes on in a, in a breakup. Yeah. There's also a desperate search for answers, wouldn't you say? It's like you, mm. you're desperately trying to figure out not only what your answers, but what theirs might be. You know, trying to understand, like, how did this happen? Like, you know, Absolutely. right? And sometimes you can get fixated on it. It can become like a fixation. Even obsessive thinking can follow that. Do you think that's true? I think it's absolutely true. And I think that the denial part in it, um, for me at least, and I think like other people I'm sure are similar in this way, that uh, instead of being able to kind of see, and this is similar when you lose somebody, you know, when you lose somebody, a lot of the times you, the first thing, the first emotions you think of is all the positive things, you know, you memorialize them in this very positive light, which is fine. But I think in a breakup, um, a lot of times we turn the mirror on ourselves, right? And we're like, oh God, like, how could have I done this? Why did I say that? Could it have been this thing I said or that thing I said or that thing I did instead of kind of being able to like, where the denial thing comes in, being like, hey, we might just not have been right for each other. This person might not have been like, you know, I actually didn't, really love being around them. You know what I mean? I just wanted to be I, I think with that someone. moves into later on when you get to the acceptance. But going back to the No, but I'm saying I think why it's denial is yeah. because you're denying the fact that maybe you really didn't get along. You're exactly. denying the fact of this person's agency, their free will, the the realities of like maybe they fell in love with somebody else. Instead of just being like maybe they just fell in love with somebody else because that's how life works sometimes. It's like, well I must have been just, you know what I mean? Terrible. Like, which brings me, which brings me to the second stage of grief, which is this anger, right? And anger turned inward is guilt. Mm -hmm. So with that second stage of grief, there's um, feelings of failure. And so you're not only angry at the other person, but you can be angry at yourself. You can be angry at their failures. Yeah. Right. Anger is probably a very intense part of um, a relationship loss. Yes, and I think it, it uh, yeah, it can be there in short relationships and long relationships. I think it's like, a, like I said before, I think it can be the part of uh, a longer relationship that actually ends up helping you eventually cope and the acceptance part because, you know, I think a little bit of anger can be healthy. Where do you stand on anger? Like, I kind of am split. The kind of Buddhist part of me is like anger is like a useless emotion we only have so long on earth why bother like clouding ourselves with these kind of negative energy the other part of me like loves anger and needs it and feels it so much (laughs) it's also it's motivating too and particularly i think in relationship loss anger helps you um lead to empowerment to a feeling of empowerment so Mm. it's actually very healthy my feelings on anger are um are that it is one of the colors of the rainbow it's not a matter of it's a good feeling or a bad feeling it's just a feeling there isn't a rating to it but I, you know, one of my favorite sayings in the whole world is the bird is going to fly over your head. You just don't want to land in your hair, which mm. means that, yes, you're going to feel anger. You're going to give space to anger. But do you want to live with anger as an angry person for a prolonged period of time? It has definite uh, downside, wouldn't you say? <laughs> I would. And I'll add to that by saying that I think that anger can be healthy when we kind of take the judgment part out of it. Mm-hmm. Right. So mm, like, just give space to it like every other feeling. I recently had an ex who I found out who we broke up because he was 
cheating on me and he fell in Mm -hmm. love with somebody else. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it's wrong to feel angry and hurt about that. You know what I mean? But it just is when I took the judgment part out of it, judging what her age was, judging that he could think that he could feel that way about something else, judging, you know what I mean? Like having like these different feelings of judgment about it. I was able to have a healthy anger about it and not feel like spiteful towards him. Actually, we're now friends. Um, I'm not saying everyone has to do that, but like, I think like, I'm not quite sure if like, do you understand what I'm saying? Does that make sense I do, well, to you? I, well, I do because I, I think that you're good at processing. And I think that you process these feelings. You, I'm sure they didn't feel that way in the beginning. But Absolutely as you say, not. then you began, you let them be because you're very good at that. You're good at giving space to your feelings. Right. And then you were able to come to a place to integrate it. You know, I don't know if you remember this story, Zara. I used to tell this story a lot. Um, actually, Flo, my sister, used to tell this story. It's called the Wild Pony Story. And if you think of all our feelings, you know, like a wild bucking pony, you know, and it's bucking and, and the, especially the intense feelings, like the pony's going crazy. It's just like it can hurt somebody do or it can hurt somebody. Do ponies do that? I feel like ponies are just So are let's docile. make it a bull. So we'll make it a bull. <laughs> well, <laughs> right, I've let's never seen it. a pony go crazy, I'm just saying. <laughs> just for the record. So let's make to, it a bull. I'm trying so to the picture bull. your analogy here and I'm picturing a like crazed pony just doesn't either let's picture the crazed pony or a bull i like it i think we should stick with it picture in your mind folks a completely a rabid pony (laughs) now that pony represents our wild feelings it Mm. represents our anger the thing you're talking about it represents jealousy it represents envy it represents greed it represents all the especially anger right right so now we have a choice this pony can either hurt somebody or hurt itself so we decide we're going to tie it up really, really tight to a pole. Mm-hmm. You know, don't make fun of me with this one, Zara. Let Bobby, me finish the story. I think it's a, so, well. I'll save my. So listen, we're going to tie it up to the pole, and what do you think is going to happen to the pony? I mean, it, it could it die. Dies? It could just literally die. It could yeah. literally do. But if we go out and we build a, um, a corral. You know, right. like a really wide, broad corral where it can run and kick and scream and spit yeah. and throw it. And to, eventually, what happens to the pony? It kind of comes back, right? Yeah. It, you know, and it comes back and it's integrated the feelings. And I think okay. that's, to me, one of the most beautiful stories to describe. And silly, but, you know, but it's, it's a good great. metaphor. It's a, it's a great metaphor. Yeah, yeah. I'm only smiling and we're on video so we can see each other. So you can see me holding back my laughter. Cause now all I can picture is a dead pony tied, <laughs> tied to a pole. <laughs> but we didn't do that. We let it go. We I gave know, our feelings space. That's true. So, Folks, nobody needs a dead pony tied to a pole. And that is why we have to leave space for anger. You heard it here. Exactly. First. Exactly. It's no, a really good analogy. So we were talking about the stages of grief though. So we talked about denial and shock and bargaining and mm-hmm. anger and guilt. And then there's depression and the extreme, mm. extreme psychic pain of fear of not being able to live without that person, a loss of your sense of self. So let's talk about that a little bit. What extreme psychic pain could come out of a breakup? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. Even like I've had three heartbreaks this year alone and they've all been really different. Um, one was, you know, with a person I was with for a long time. Another was with 
a good friend who lives far away and we just it couldn't didn't work out and another was with someone I didn't know for a very long time but I felt a powerful connection to and they're all really different yet all those feeling all every time I feel heartbreak it lives right here in like right in, in this feeling where my what is this your solar plexus yeah what is this part well, it's also your chakra, your heart chakra. Yeah, and then like right at the top of my stomach and in my eyes. And, you know, even when I reason with myself and whatever, like I do, even when my brain feels more healthy, like even now, like my brain feels healthy, but I'm still processing heartbreak in my body. And I can't help it. I don't necessarily know why because my, my brain is trying to suss out why and I have some ideas, but like I just still feel it in my body in this way. And, you know, I think that like the depression part um, can, you know, you're talking about obsessive thinking before that can be part of it. I think the anger turned inward is depression. Um, And I think it's just like, I think we don't talk a lot about in our polite society, which is so polite. um, We don't really talk a lot about disappointment and the fact that like, we really have to like just live with disappointment because we grow up often in in our American culture idealizing fairy tales, thinking that that's the way it works out, thinking that if, you know, you get your nose rubbed in the mud often enough that what it just all works out. You know, a lot of times it does in some ways. A lot of times it does work out in some ways, but it's not often in the ways you think. And it, it's it, life isn't exactly like that. And if we're not accustomed to growing up knowing that it can be very hard to grapple with the fact that sometimes you just have to feel shitty and disappointed about things. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's like, it's true. It's true. It's yeah. so true. And like, I think that like I had been conditioned to have such magical thinking throughout my life. And I think it, like we talked about last week with Kimberly, that's a little bit of magical thinking here and there sprinkled in. Um, but you know, when you depend on it too much, the down, the come down can be hard. And it's something I still try to try to like deal with. And in terms of heartbreak and breakups and things not working out, I think it's always been hard for me. And, uh, I don't know how our listeners feel, but to think that like something makes sense and you see some kind of path and you feel some kind of relief from tension because falling in love and like having a relationship is a relief from tension in some way in its early stages before you really get the additional tension from actually being in a relationship with a real human. Right. Yeah. And that's disappointing. And disappointment yeah, is sad. Exactly. It's, it's fucking so sad. sad. Yeah. It's you know, we're so sad. hardwired for connection. We really are our, our like our physical being, like you said, our chemicals. Yeah. You know, our chemicals are hardwired for intimate relationships. You know, we have a need, that feeling of protection and nurturing and safety and soothing and comfort and fun. And I love, I was reading somewhere, they, they use the term a tribe of two, Aww, you know, and it's cute. just, that's, it's kind of, and especially now in the time of COVID, you know, you feel like a tribe together, you know, and, and so um, attachment is severed then, right? So our attachment, what we're saying is that our hardwiring for connection is our attachment, and we all know, I think, um, that our attachment is linked back to our own grow- our childhood. It's really very much attachment. Our attachment style is connected with our formative years and, you know, what we felt in our own families. And that yeah. interruption can come in many different ways. I know I've shared before that in my own life, um, I had a sister that died when I was two. So I know that I had an attachment um, 
You have an anxious um, attachment style. It was an interruption, right, at that time. Mm. So that's part of why I know. I mean, I had two loving parents. I know I did. It's not that that was the issue. But people grow up. Either there's maybe one parent is sick, you know, when they're a child. Um, I know my own mother, when she gave birth to my sister, um, my half-sister, my mother was sick, very sick. And she was so sick that she had to put my sister in an orphanage for a period of time. So I'm sure that her attachment styles were interrupted. So you can see that attachment doesn't necessarily have to do with, um, in our formative years, with parents that don't love us. It can mean that there's interruptions for different reasons. Even, I hate to say it, but a parent has to go to work. You know, it does. It's not that it's going to ruin their life, but it does. It, it affects the attachment style. Absolutely. And you know. attachments, there are four, right? But we're going to, Well, I mean, there's four, but I thought we would just kind of really talk about the two. And basically, we're talking well, about a secure attachment and an insecure attachment. Well, we're, you know. there's secure, and then there's an anxious uh, attachment, which are people who want to come close. And then there's avoidance, which are people who want to go away. To, to, and both, you want to come close to feel safe, or you want to go away to feel safe. Those are the two pole, like poles. Secure is in the middle. And a lot of times I think it's important to remember when people are like, oh, gosh, why didn't it work out? And before you start to self-flagellate, realize that a lot of times you might just be dealing with someone who has a different attachment style. Attachment style. And so it's like, you know, the two, like, it's like oil and water in a way. And and unfortunately, a lot of times those folks come together uh, and try to work out their problems, uh, i.e. almost every relationship I've been in and like... You know, as you kind of go along, Approach you can avoidance. identify, be like, oh, this person is just has a different attachment style than me. Right. And it doesn't right. mean you'll be less disappointed to have it not work out. But it is a kind of alleviation from being able to blame yourself for like not working out. for. Some but reason. it also explains where self-awareness makes a difference. So two people who obviously it's not their fault they have an attachment style. But when you're aware of it, you know, it makes you can have a healthy relationship. I want to tell you a story about a training I had once that was probably one of the most significant things I ever learned in training as a psychotherapist. And I was trained as a Gestalt therapist. So this was in my Gestalt training, postgraduate. So what we had to do is the group was divided into two. And half the group were parents, mothers, and half the group were babies. And so first, so you'd be a baby and you'd be lying on the ground and you wouldn't know which mother would come to you because there were three kinds of mothers that would come to you. One mother would be an over-anxious, over-protective mother. The other mother would be an avoidant, distant mother. And the third mother would be a loving mother. So there you were, you're lying on the floor, and you don't know whose other group is coming. They've divided up into three groups, and you don't know which mother's coming to you. Is it going to be somebody that's a mother that's going to be like, oh, you know, like nervous that you, everything you do, you know? Yeah. Or is it going to be a mother that's, you know, just loving and solid and grounded, or is it going to be a mother that is kind of turning the other way and can't even hug you? That, to me, is the best description of attachment styles. I never learned a lesson so deeply in my whole life. Because you could feel it. You could feel it. Like when each different style parent, mother came to you, it affected the way right. your chemistry is. Yeah. So I think that, that's it to me. So attachment style affects the way we grieve in a relationship. And the way we, as you say, not just grieve the loss of a relationship, but the way we are in a relationship. Mm, Absolutely. So I want to kind of go back a little bit to, because now we're in the stage of grief of depression. And I want to kind of take this opportunity to interject uh, some food stuff into this. So I think when we're in the depression phase of the breakup, 
it can, or the breakdown or the divorce or the ending of a relationship, or even just the relationship being on the rocks, fighting a lot, you know, a big fight can kind of trigger this stuff. Um, people deal with it really differently. And I think like, you know, uh, in the gender normative sense that we see the tropes in pop culture that a lot of times we see women, um, you know, doing this, like, you know, the proverbial pint of ice cream. It's, it's interesting, actually. Uh, I was going to start a blog a while ago with like Nicole and Jenny and my friend Sarah, I think you remember high five girl. And like our first article that we were going to write, I was going to write a column there every month. Um, we were going to do a pint of ice cream column where I was going to talk to um, a person about their experience with uh, hurt and heartbreak and the pervert, what's their pint, you know, quote unquote pint of ice cream. And the pers- first person and only person I interviewed for it was <laughs> AD, um, who we had had on the show previously. Was who? I'm sorry, I missed you. AD. And they had talked about their experience, you know, what their pint of ice cream was. I still have the article, I've read it before. So anyway, um, but I think the trope that we see with like, you know, again, in a gender normative way with like women uh, eating lots of ice cream and uh, like, you know, in in cheesy romantic comedies, like ordering, you know, way too much Chinese food and sitting in their pajamas. And that's always kind of like, it doesn't resonate with me at all. And it actually kind of irritates me because like, I first of all, that's not how everyone reacts. It's the opposite of how I react when I feel upset I like cannot eat I can't think about food I can't eat food I can't look at food I want nothing to do with it um and I was reading a lot about it and one of the things that I was reading about that I thought was interesting is that in you know kind of uh in the tropes that we see in film and and television and stuff like that is that like we don't often show women drinking because that's like quote-unquote like not but I was about like. to say, the male who just had a breakup is sitting in his apartment, doesn't change his clothes, doesn't leave in this plants of beer all over the place. That's what exactly. you see in the movies. Right. But for women, it's like overeating, like junk food. And some people do that. And there's different reasons for both. So first, I kind of want to start with a quote from the late, great MFK Fisher. And MFK Fisher uh, was quoted as saying, sharing food with another human is as intimate an act that should not be indulged in lightly. And so, you know, when we're with people, if we're people who, you know, are food people, uh, there's been, even if you're not a quote unquote food person, you know, there's a lot of like memories tied to food. And so when you go through a breakup, it can, can be very difficult. You turn to, away. To yeah, you want to turn away the, from that. Because of the memory of it. Right. Whereas like uh, earlier today, you and I were talking about, um, uh, the difference between someone passing away and we started off the show talking about this and somebody, you know, going through a breakup is that like you, uh, you know, uh, people have different relationships with what they can eat after their loved one passes away. But there, there can often be an inclination to what, like when dad died, I wanted to, at his, you know, memorial that we did a couple of days after he died, remember I made all his favorite foods. I made like meatballs and big ziti and lasagna and all this stuff and people came over and enjoyed it um when you go through a breakup it's like the that thing isn't really there you're not like oh, i want to you eat know what all i hear you saying so-and-so's I hear you favorite saying foods that there's no celebration there's sometimes exactly, when there's a person no we love dies even though we're grieving them we're celebrating them there's Correct. no celebration that's such a great point bobby and that is one of the things that makes heartbreak difficult because there isn't 
Yes. When you maybe like, you know, throw all their shit in a fire, uh, waiting to exhale style, perhaps you can call that celebration. That's still quite painful. There is no celebration. There isn't like, I mean, everyone's different. I don't like to make blanket statements, but you know, oftentimes it can feel like there isn't. And the stress, uh, thing, it's interesting. I was reading, um, an article from Vice and they were saying, that like they had a doctor who was quoted and seeing that they see the same kind of thing with like cyclers and runners and the the psychiatrist wanted to say cyclists need to eat a lot but they find it difficult to do so physically they can't it's similar to being in a stressful situation because the levels of adrenaline and the heart rate go up during excessive activity Um, and because of that it's almost impossible to get food down your throat not being able to eat after a heartbreak is caused by the fight mode in your body Um, And it's kind of the same thing. And so like your nervous system is like firing on all these cylinders uh, where, and so like eating becomes a secondary concern. Your pupils dilate, the pulmonary, uh, a voli widen, and your heart starts to beat faster. Uh, You're going into survival mode, Uh, which I just thought was very interesting. Whereas like sometimes when you have the inclination to want to eat a lot of comforting foods in a breakup, that's because, according to the same article, when you fall in love, a lot of oxytocin is released oxytocin, in your brain, exactly. right? So what you're describing is the trauma response. And when we have trauma, all the energy moves away from the organs and it moves to the extremities so that you can run. So right. it's actually a very similar thing to what you're saying. It's it is so the same interesting. Yeah. And, but, but the you know people who feel like the opposite, it's, it's a pretty split. It's like a pretty split camp. It's not that everybody feels this way and then this way. When the relationship ends, the oxytocin levels suddenly plummet, which is such an important part, just that they suddenly plummet, right? So like be gentle to yourselves, folks, who maybe were in a relationship for a week or two or 10 years or whatever. But like just knowing that chemical response, the oxytocin dive, yeah. It's a chemical response in your body. So be gentle to yourselves and don't beat yourself up for being like, why am I feeling this way? Because your levels of oxytocin, your excitement, your hope, your joy, all of a sudden plummets down and that's really hard and it's not your fault. So be nice to yourself. But um, anyway, so some things that can help people kind of regain the feelings of joy and that like calmness from like the big oxytocin surge are things with a lot of sugar, fat, stuff like that. And so that's the reason that a lot of folks um, feel like the opposite way and feel comforted by food. Also, we also know that sometimes people push down feelings with food. I mean, you can Absolutely. almost picture it as if your feelings, you, you pointed to a place in your, in your solar plexus there, you know? So you, you, if you imagine, you're just pushing it down. You're pushing the pain down with everything you eat. You're just pushing it down. So we can see how both things would work. Totally. You know, yeah. I push the pain down because I like, I'm just different. Like I've in the past been so, I'll admit, been so inclined to when I go through a painful experience to push it down with cigarettes. You know what I mean? That's my like almost like self-punishing slash checking out slash pushing the pain away because I don't feel hungry, but I do want something to like just consume, you know? So I can really relate to that feeling of wanting to consume. I do it with cigarettes. I try not to do that anymore in my life. It's also a denial of self. Like in other words, it's, it's this deny self denial that I don't matter. I don't count. What am I worth anyway? You know, it's because that's really part of the, that self um, esteem is so impacted by a breakup, no matter, you know, no matter it's what so happens, bad. it's just, yeah. yeah. And that's the thing that like, 
we don't also don't talk about a lot is just how you know, a lot of the depression comes from just the feelings of worthlessness that like are deeply embedded somewhere or another of just like, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. And so what's my, what's my point in this world? And someone at some point, you know what I mean? Like we all want to feel like we fucking matter just a little bit. We want to feel validated. Like we matter a little bit. And like, guess what? You matter a lot bit whether or not someone else was specifically attracted to you, whether they were super attracted to you and they couldn't do it, whether like whatever the circumstance was, you still matter a lot bit. And that comes in the processing. That's where processing comes in because it leads us to a place of acceptance where, um, you know, we can accept what happened. And once we do that, I tell this to people with grief all the time. Once we come to acceptance, which is what grief is trying to accept, we pivot and we make a turn towards ourselves. And I think that's what happens in the breakup. You can feel it. Like once you've gone through all those aspects, you begin to turn towards yourself. And then, you know, there's a new stage that they've added on to the uh, stages of grief. David Kessler, who's a wonderful, uh, he was a, worked with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, but he recently wrote a book called The Fifth Sta- Sixth Stage of Grief, which is new meaning and finding hope and who am I now and what have I learned and what's been the, the traumatic growth that came out of this. Yeah. Um, so I also came across a great uh, slogan, uh, which I want to share. I shared it with you before, and I want to share it with the audience. It said that this becomes a time to detox and unpack your bags. So what does that mean to you? We both said, wow, that's so cool. That's exactly what this is, because processing is a time to detox. You pull away like the turtle does. You pull in, you retreat. And then what is the unpacking of your bags? Well, I'm a big fan of like becoming untethered in a reasonable way. Like, I don't think, you know, I don't want to say what's right for anybody. I'm not a huge proponent of like letting your whole life go down the drain, but like, I'm a, I am a proponent of really feeling your feelings. And so I think for me, that kind of means like, be in it for a minute, get out of this, like what you can. And like one of the fucking hardest things and that I hate hearing when I'm going through a hard time, particularly a breakup is like, you know, just give it time, and one day you're going to really be thankful that this happened. I hate that. When somebody says that to me, I want to, like, tie them to a pole, like a pony. <laughs> <laughs> I want to tie them to a pole with a dead pony. Um, but it's true. Because you, you, know you, I mean? you honor the retreat part of it. You know, we've talked about this before, and this is a very intimate thing between Zara and I, but we have kind of a difference between us that comes up sometimes when you are going through something that's difficult. And it is that I immediately, and of course this happens because a mother feels such pain when their child is hurting. It's just, we just know it. It it hurts inside of a mother when a child hurts. So, and I'm the first one to say, Zara, you're such a beautiful human being. This is going to be better. You're going to learn from this. I'm the first person to do that. And you, on the other hand, have st- stood adamant in the fact that you need to retreat. You need to pull back. You need to, you know, um, detox and unpack your bags. And whatever way that is, yeah, you're going to like, do it. I'm not the kind of person, especially now, you know, I shouldn't say I'm not the kind of person. In my current life, I am not the kind of person who's going to go through a painful breakup and try to go and date somebody else right away. Mm-hmm, right. I'm not going to go or just like a heartbreak or a real disappointment because I want to take the time now to like sit with the feeling 
and to try to learn and not just continue to cover it up and not just to not to not just smoke cigarettes, but also not to just like cover up pain with with uh, another person, because then I'm not sure that I've learned. That's just me. I'm not sure that like I well, that brings us to the next question, which is, you know, what helps? And in a way, it's the question we like to ask at the end of our show. If you were to go back to your younger self who's had these breakups, you know, what advice would you give yourself and what has helped you? You know, through these years, what are the things that makes a difference working. when you have a? I'm sorry, working, working, walking, uh, being with my friends, like yeah. remembering the things I can do to remember that like life is bigger than the acute pain that I'm in, and also remembering that you can live with pain. You know what I mean? Like I think like in my younger days, I thought that like you can only live or be in pain. And you have to do one first. So right. you better get this pain out of the way so you can mm-hmm. live again. You right. can do both at the same time. You know what I mean? And I think I used to just think I had to be in this like amount of pain and like also be defined by how badly I felt and be in this pain. And like, you know, now I can kind of talk candidly like about like my depression and be like, yeah, I feel depressed, but I'm also fine. Before I think in when I was younger, I might have tried to be defined by my bad feelings or depression or hardships I had, I think, uh, a way of dealing with maybe, um, shame I had around failed relationships was to like make fun of myself about it, you know, and I'm, I still obviously have a bit of a self-deprecating sense of humor, but like, I'm not super self-deprecating about it and I'm not super self and I'm not super critical of the people that I've parted with anymore, you know? Like, mm-hmm. I feel yeah. like I'm able to see people as, like, really complex human beings. I try well, to understand that more. That's beautiful. Yeah, I think that's it's beautiful. the balancing of that. anger. I think it's the having the anger without the judgment part. Yep, yep. Um, I respect you so much for that. Thanks. And, like, you know, what would I say to my younger self? I would say uh, tequila is not a suitable dinner. Like... <laughs> You know, <laughs> eat a fucking a bowl of soup, you ding dong. Take um, care of yourself while you go through that. You know what it is? Don't torture yourself. Don't make it worse for yourself. You don't need exactly. to like, you there don't you need go. to punish yourself because this didn't work out. You don't need to punish yourself. You don't need to like destroy yourself more. It's okay As to a matter of fact, quite the opposite. You're going through something that's so powerful. Why not try to help yourself go through it with care? But also allow yourself to have, feel your feelings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would of course, just you of know, course. step back from that ledge yeah. a bit. Um, Which but, makes me, yeah, yeah. What about you? I don't know. I don't. I don't have. I can't really respond to that. Except that um, I think that I rush things. I rush healing sometimes, and so I'm actually reading this book now, which I would like to mention to everybody. It's called Wintering, and it's by Catherine May, and it says the power of rest and retreat in difficult times. So I think that means that we owe it to ourselves not to rush through an experience and to give it space. I think being able to give something space is huge. I still wrestle with it. I, you know, I still sometimes don't want to accept just mystery. And I feel like because of experiences I've had as a child, like that it's up to me to fix everything. And like, if I could say the perfect thing, if I could write the perfect letter, if I could, you know, just do the perfect thing, like it would be better. It would work out the way I quote unquote wanted to work out. And I think letting go is important. That's a lesson I continue to try to teach myself. And then to balance that between 
also saying your feelings and realizing that life is short and sometimes you do need to just say your feelings and maybe somebody could want to hear them. It does, there's no right answer. No. Nobody but you know, does this right. What, what you were talking about is the unknown and that sometimes we do all these things because we're so afraid of the unknown. Mm-hmm. And I think that brings us to what we talked about last week with Kimberly has to do with hope. Yes. So I found a, a great quote that we both agreed that was just fits this. So it says, holding on is believing that there is only a past. Mm-hmm. Letting go is knowing that there is a future. I love that. And to me, that's hope. It's beautiful. That's hope in the unknown. It's just... Uh, that's beautiful, Bobby. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about some things going back to food, too. That a couple, I just like made a list for myself. I'm like, what are some things? Because... I was thinking about like things that like, you know, after this MFK Fisher quote about sharing food and how it's so intimate and reading stories from other people online about what they can no longer eat. I'm like, hmm, I wonder like, what are things that I could no longer eat for a while? And here's my list of things. L&B Spumoni Gardens, I couldn't eat for a while because me and an ex used to go there and it was so fun. And I was like, I could never eat L&B Spumoni Gardens again. And then this summer... Um, you know, a couple months after we broke up, I got up at my apartment in, Ca- in Carroll Gardens and I was like, I'm going to walk to Elm Beast Mimoni Gardens. And it's like Which nine, is mi- where? It's nine, nine miles. miles from my house. Right. <laughs> and I walked there and back and got pizza, but I got over it. And I was like, it was actually a huge moment because I That's it was, great. It was such a long walk. It took me like <laughs> yeah. almost four hours to freaking walk there. That like by the time I got there, I had sweated out all my anger over the relationship. And honestly, I think that was like a big turning point for me. Um, the same relationship made it hard for me to eat quesadillas. I, I, I'm not that I was ever like a huge quesadilla eater in the first place, but I really couldn't eat them afterwards, and I still haven't. Um, Noodle Village. I won't uh, eat them either. Good. I'm just you know going to go on revolt. Look, I'm not going to eat quesadillas. If you love this show, I'm going to urge you to stop eating quesadillas in support of me and my broken heart. My heart's fine. I can eat quesadillas now. I don't have a broken heart over this person anymore. Um, Noodle Village, uh, my favorite Chinese restaurant. I found it hard to go there for a while. Uh, Prime Meats, when it was still open, when I went through a really bad breakup right after my dad died, I couldn't go to Prime Meats. And I also used to love drinking Bloody Marys. And then, like, after that same breakup, right after dad died with that person, I haven't drank a Bloody Mary since. Not a single or married Bloody Mary. You know, because our, our body knows. Our body remembers. Yes, that's right. Um... I mean, there's been various other things between then and there, but then one other thing recently, I, I don't think I, I don't know how I'll feel about next Thanksgiving. I feel like Thanksgiving food now has a weird place in my brain, but I guess, you know, by next year, maybe it'll be fine. Mashed potatoes might be back on the docket. Stuffing, who's <laughs> to say really? <laughs> yeah. Um, but it can all be kind of tough. Oh, banana cream pie. That was another one from a really long time ago. Um, yeah, I mean... There's been all different ones. Well, Zara, I, I, you know that every day I, um, I pray for, I pray for happiness and well-being. And um, you're such a beautiful human being, and I'm so touched that you would share this vulnerable place with today in this show. I really, I think it was a great show because um, we always share our vulnerability, but we're also here listening to everybody else's. And today, you, you really shared some such deep places inside of yourself. Thank you. Well, you you know, the thing is, Bobby, like, I am happy. I'm really happy. I'm actually at a great place in my life. I feel great. I feel very grateful for, you know, what I have. I feel grateful for the things that I get to do. Um, and I also, like, 
feel lonely sometimes, you know? But, like, I think that that can sometimes be, at least for me, an embarrassing thing to admit. I don't know why, but it's just, like, as though, like, I should be better than that. because, Or maybe it's because I feel lucky and happy. Like, I shouldn't also have that feeling. But, like... But remember my word and. We have both at the same time. It's okay to be, like... I would like to have someone to like snuggle me to bed. Snuggling is wonderful, you know, and sleeping alone and stretching out in your bed and not having anyone to worry about is also wonderful. It's also wonderful. And it's like, it's okay if you're out there and you're feeling heartbroken, like it's okay to feel heartbroken. It sucks. It sucks being disappointed. It sucks feeling rejected or rejecting somebody else because maybe you're not in a place like that also hurts. And something that, you know, certainly I've, I've had to deal with a lot too, you know, feeling not in a place to accept someone else's love or attention. So the bottom line is trying to be okay with where you're at. And that's ultimately the goal. Yes, and, and I think just, also, like, yeah. part of being okay where you're at is, like, being okay with not being okay. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. We yeah. talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. So I'd like to close with the words of Robert Frost. I, you know me and my quotes. I love it so much. Um, in three words, I can sum up everything I have learned about life. It goes on. Mm, I love that, Bobby. That's really good. That's perfect. Well, I hope that you have an amazing day and that you eat something delicious. I, uh, I don't know. I know when I'm in that like zone, I don't know about y'all out there, but like when I get in those zones where I'm like feeling that heartbreak, sadness, sometimes like I can't, you know, like I said, I can't eat or won't be hungry until I really am, you know, <laughs> until I really am. Right, and then exactly. I'll be like, Oh my God, like I'm ready for like a delicious burger. And then you let the juices drip down your hands and you're like, you can so be in your like authenticity. So maybe. You, you get your juiciness back. Exactly. exactly. You lose your juiciness for a while. Yeah. yeah. You're like, your light goes out, you know, the burners on the stove go out, but that's okay. But I hope, I hope to all of you, any of you who are either experiencing a heartbreak or a breakup or, you know, about to, I'm just kidding, or have had one in the past to anyone out there who has a dead pony tied to a fence pole, a flagpole in their backyard. No, but really like, you know, warm hugs, because like Bobby said, when we started the show, it is not often a societally uh, embraced form of grieving. And we're told to get over it. Your friends eventually just don't want to hear about it anymore. It can be isolating and lonely. It's a weird place to be in. So we're here. We really get it. We deeply get it. I deeply feel your pain. This fucking sucks. Power and strength to you. And, uh, you know, just know the path is winding. And it doesn't always lead to uh, the place you thought it will. But there's interesting stops along the way. So take out those binoculars. I can make analogies, too. You're not the only one. <laughs> <laughs> you make good ones. You're my All daughter. Right. You're your you, mother's Mama. daughter. Love you. I love you. Bye. Bye. My name is Sarah Kim, and I'm from Austin, Texas. I'm a Cheeselandian because while life is great, cheese makes it better. Wisconsin cheese has proven time and time again to be a delicious expression of craft, hard work, and tradition. 
As a Cheeselandian, I am able to share a Gouda experience with fellow cheese and food lovers nationwide, as well as connect with cheese producers and cheesemongers, taking my love of cheese to another level. I invite you to join Cheeselandia because during these difficult times, it has been even more important to take it easy and get cheesy. The Cheeselandia community and events have been the glue helping to keep us together and connected, and I would love it if you would join me. And let's face it, if you hear the word cheese and get a little hungry, then you've found a place you can call home. To find out more about Cheeselandia, go to cheeselandia.com. Thank you so much for joining us for Processing. We realize that sharing these types of deeply intimate stories on air is a very personal decision. We began this project as a way to connect our listeners through shared experiences and storytelling. We hope that Processing can be a platform for sharing, learning, and healing. We appreciate our guests' willingness to be vulnerable and value nothing more than making both our guests' and listeners' experiences with our show positive and progressive. If you're interested in being a guest on the show or writing in a listener letter, please email processing at heritageradionetwork.org. Please follow us at processing underscore podcast on Instagram. Processing is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage radio network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community. Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please Join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click at the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.